Imagine all of this with me for a moment. Imagine that you are one of Jesus' disciples, some of his closest friends and his followers that were with him for his three-year ministry. And after spending all of this time with him, seeing him perform miracles, raising the dead, giving new teaching to the common people and also to the religious leaders, you suddenly see your master taken away by the Roman guards. You watch him be whipped until you can see his bones, thorns aggressively pushed into his skull, the struggle he had while carrying the heavy cross, his execution implement, to the outskirts of town, and then hearing the hammering of the nails going through into the hands that healed so many people and the feet that walked across Judea, so he could help people to know him and his father's plan. Finally, you see your master take his final breath and say, it is finished, and die up on that cross. Imagine, since you are one of the disciples, the weight that must be on your shoulders right now. I mean, you ran away from Jesus while he was being taken from the, by the soldiers. You did not stand up for him in court for fear of what might happen to you, and you did not help him carry that cross, and you did not try to save his life. Because of all this, you feel immense anger and sadness, confusion and fear. For three days, you hide away in a small home with the rest of the disciples for fear that the religious leaders might find you and you might suffer the same fate as your master. One of the one that you thought was the Messiah. And on the third day, you go at daybreak to finally prepare your master's body for a proper burial. And as you're walking along the dark path, the sun just coming up over the hills, you feel a tremor in the ground. And this startles you, and you have no idea where it came from or what damage it has done. But after it's over, you're like, okay, I think I'm good. And you continue walking to the burial site of Jesus. And as you make that final turn in the road, you see a brilliant light shining up against the rock face and a figure clothed as white as snow and a face shone like lightning was there. You are scared and confused, but you can't tell your brain to tell your feet to move. You can't tell them to run away. Like you're just like shocked and flabbergasted. And then the angel speaks to you. Don't be afraid. I mean, I think we'd all be pretty afraid at that point. And this powerful voice shakes the earth and you lose your balance a little bit. And he continues to say, I know you are looking for Jesus who was crucified. He isn't here. He is risen from the dead, just as he said would happen. You look at the angel dumbfounded. What on earth is he talking about? Jesus died just a few days ago. I seen it with my own eyes. He is not alive right now. The angel, knowing your confusion, says to you, Come, see where the body was lying. 
you slowly walk forward pretty, pretty hesitantly and peek into the tomb. No body. Only the linens are there. You stop for a moment and try to process what's happening. Did someone come and steal my Lord's body? What have they done with him? And you start panicking for a second. Or is what the angel said true? Has my Lord really risen from the dead? Wait a second. If he is alive, then that means that he's probably nearby somewhere. Where do I go? What do I do? How on earth is any of this possible? The angel interrupts your thought process and gives you direction. Now, and now go quickly and tell his disciples that he is risen from the dead and he is going ahead of you to Galilee. You will see him there. Remember what I have told you. In your confusion, wonder, joy, and excitement, you leave the burial site and you rush through the woods along the pathway, passing everyone you meet, not saying a word to them. You run as fast as you can with every ounce that you could possibly muster to tell the disciples about this marvelous event. When all of a sudden you see a familiar face in the, in the front there, in the distance, and your body and your mind is still in disbelief. And you're like, no, 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 this can't be happening. Like, that can't be him. But your heart is bursting at the seams. It's him as you get closer. It's Jesus. You rush to him and you grasp his feet, holding on to him, trying to convince your eyes that he is actually in front of you and that you are there with him again. And then he says, you, gives you a warm hello, and he is excited to see you too. And he tells you to go and tell his brothers, the disciples, to meet him in Galilee right away. You find it hard to let go of your master. You're just like, I just got him back, and you want me to go again? But you're like, okay, this is not goodbye again. I'm going to see him again. So you rush to the disciples, as, again, as fast as you possibly can where they're hiding, and you joyously tell them about the good news, about what you just saw. Hesitation and a little bit of indecision run across their faces because they thought that this was too good to be true. But then Jesus came, came to them multiple times to prove that he is alive that he is the Messiah, and that he has conquered death. You spend weeks with Jesus, about 40 days in total, learning from him just like the old days, but with a new, fresh meaning to it all. Worshiping him and watching him heal others. And then you go up to a mountaintop. That's where Jesus leads you to go on the 40th day. And you are still in awe that your master is still with you and that he has accomplished all of these things. And you hang on to every single word that he says. He then tells you that he must go back with his father, but that he has an extremely important job for you to, all, to accomplish. Wait a second. I just got him back. And now he's leaving again? You realize that you can't be without him anymore. 
But thankfully, Jesus reassures you that you do not have to be. Welcome to our new sermon series on the five great commandments. Yeah, I said five. It's not just one. And we will be diving deep into all of these great commissions, not great commandments, I'm sorry, (laughs) that Jesus told us to accomplish together. Today I'll be talking about the first and the most popular of these commissions, and we are referencing from Matthew chapter 28. Going back to the illustration, while up on that mountaintop, Jesus tells you four things that you and the other disciples are to do after he goes back with his father. During his time on earth, Jesus was preparing you to do his work for him one day. He did not expect it to end with him. He was preparing all the disciples to do his work. His teachings was not just so you could keep them to yourself. So, oh, I learned all this, so and I don't need to tell anyone about it. No, you need to bring it to the entire world. And that is the basis for the Great Commission. Jesus begins his four commands by saying, all authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. This commission that follows is given in light of the authority of Jesus. So this indicates that this is an authoritative command, is not a suggestion. It is the same idea as if an officer reminded a private of his rank before he gave the order. Because of Jesus' authority, he can send whoever he wants to do whatever he pleases. Therefore, Jesus is telling his disciples that because they follow him, this is what they must do. It's a command, not a suggestion. To be a follower, a disciple of Jesus, by his grace, guidance, and instruction, we must do the following. My first point today is that Jesus calls us to go and make. To go and make. Jesus said in Matthew 28, verse 19, Therefore, go and make disciples of all the nations. First of all, let's explain what a disciple really is. Got Questions, a website that I've used a lot at Kingswood, uh, really nails it on the head here. They say, a Christian disciple is a person who accepts and assists in the spreading of the good news of Jesus Christ. Christian discipleship is the process by which disciples grow in the Lord Jesus Christ and are equipped by the Holy Spirit who resides in our hearts to overcome the pressures and trials of the present life and become more and more Christ-like. So this process requires believers to respond to the Holy Spirit's prompting to examine their thoughts, their words, and their actions and compare them with the Word of God. This requires that we be in the Word of God daily. We need to be reading the Bible all the time in order to know what the Bible says by studying it, praying over it, and obeying it. In addition, we should always be ready to give a testimony for the reason of the hope that's within us. Why are we a Christian? And Be ready to give an answer for that. And that will help us to disciple others to walk with Him. According to scripture, being a disciple involves personal growth. 
To make disciples reminds us that disciples are made. Disciples are made. Disciples are not spontaneously created at conversion. They are the product of a process involving other believers. Everyone, the body of Christ, is involved in making a disciple. This making of disciples is the power of spreading Christianity. It is necessary in order to spread Christianity. Being a disciple of Jesus, a follower of Jesus, is not just saying the sinner's prayer and then going on about our lives as normal. Discipleship is a huge commitment, one that takes a lot of time, sacrifice, obedience, and hard work. But even though there is a lot involved with being a Christian, it is so worth it. Having the assurance that Jesus is with us no matter what troubles come our way, that he will guide us and love us unconditionally, that he has given us a new life with him, which is the best life to live, this is the ultimate way to live on this earth. And Jesus has commanded us to help others to know of this assurance as well, to his peace, to his comfort, to his unconditional love, to his mercy, so they can also live for him. He's commanded us to tell other people about this. And that is why he tells us to go and make disciples of all the nations. Now, think back to my illustration for a second. You're listening to Jesus tell you these commands, and you're like, he wants me to do what? And go where? Are you kidding me? You think back to the day that Jesus was crucified. You ran away from the soldiers that took your Lord. You did not stand up for him. You allowed him to suffer on that cross. How could he possibly want you and me to take on such a huge responsibility? We feel unqualified and unworthy. Jesus said, go to some very imperfect disciples. But who will go out of that first band of disciples? It is Peter the rash and the headstrong. It is John who sometimes wishes to call down fire from heaven to destroy men. It is Thomas who must put his fingers into the print of the nails or, that, or he will not believe that Jesus is alive. Yet, Jesus says to them, go, all power is given unto me, therefore go. You are as good for my purpose as anyone else could be. There is no power in you, but I know, I know, but then all power is in me, in Jesus, therefore go. When you hear Jesus say, go and make disciples of all the nations, your mind races and you feel a sense of fear and uncertainty because that means you would have to teach the Gentiles as well. And those are people who are not Jews. Jewish people did not think well of the Gentiles during the time of Jesus. And the thought of intentionally loving and interacting with them scares you a little bit. But again, you know what you must do. There is no place on earth where the gospel of Jesus should not be preached and where the disciples should not, where disciples should not be made. The aim of Jesus' disciples, therefore, is to make disciples of all men and women everywhere without 
distinction. Jesus went out of his way to love others, especially those whom society had cast aside. Now it's our turn. So far we've found out that Jesus wants us to go and make disciples of all nations. Okay, you say to yourself, I'm tracking with them. I'm a little hesitant, but I mean, you know, I'm tracking with them. But then Jesus keeps going. My second point today is that Jesus calls us to baptize. Jesus calls us to baptize. He says in verse 19, Therefore go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. Baptism is when someone becomes a follower of Jesus and they want to make an outward statement of the inward change in their life. So what we usually do, we have a tank up on the stage or we go to a pool or we go to a river, wherever there's a body of water, and we lower that person into the water, symbolizing Jesus' death. And then we lift that person up out of the water again, symbolizing Jesus' resurrection and new life with him. So when we dunk them, we ask them if they believe that Jesus is the Son of God and that he is Lord. And then we say, I now baptize you in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. When we say in the name, this means literally into the name, implying entrance into allegiance to Jesus. An allegiance loyalty, and following of Jesus. His commissions to his disciples to continue the work. They are to go to all nations now, not just Israel as in the past. The gospel is for the Gentiles as well. They are to baptize all people as a sign that they belong to Jesus and are clean and ready for his return. This baptism is to be in the name of the one God who is Father, who is the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, three in one. And this is the first time, just so you know, that Jesus included himself in the name of God. And because you are a disciple of Jesus during this time, you realize the significance of this baptism. So in Jewish culture, they would circumcise men, which was an outward symbolization of their commitment to Yahweh. Now instead of circumcision, there's baptism. Jesus is changing traditions here, which is huge in that culture. He's changing mindsets, again, huge. And he's starting with the disciples, with you, to bring this into the whole world So that everyone, not just the Jewish people, can be part of his fellowship. Not to have their sin bound by them any longer and to have a new life with Jesus. Okay, so far Jesus has told you to go and make disciples in all the nations. And we know that these disciples are not just made, they are developed over lifetimes. So we have to nurture, love, and demonstrate this new life to these new converts for a very long time. It's not just a one and done. We have to love on these guys and demonstrate Jesus's love. 
And these disciples are not just to keep this new life to themselves, but to live it out and make an outward declaration by being baptized. So, so far you're like, okay, this is a lot of instructions and a lot of stuff to do, but as long as he doesn't add anything else to the list, I think I should be okay. But Jesus still isn't done. My third point today is that Jesus calls us to teach. Jesus calls us to teach. He says in verse 20, teach these new disciples to obey all the commands I have given you. Well, wait a second. All of the commands that Jesus has given us? That's a lot of stuff that he taught us in three years. How on earth can we possibly remember them all? Someone's going to have to write them down one day so that way we can all have access to them. But that's going to be a long ways in the future. (laughs) But then you realize that you've already been living out his teachings for the past three years. He hasn't just told you and you don't just remember them. You've been living them out. It's following the example that Jesus gave us. He didn't just talk the talk, he walked the walk. And that's what we have started to do as well as his disciples. And this is so important because disciples are made through teaching. This teaching is not only with words, but with the power of the always present Jesus. He will be present with his people until the job of making disciples is done, until the end of the age, until he returns. The disciples are to teach everyone to obey Christ's commands. The good news is to be expressed in good lives, lives which show truth, purity, and love. Francis of Assisi wisely said, preach the gospel at all times, and when necessary, use words. Now, he did not mean never talk about Jesus and what he done or what he talked, taught. But Francis meant for us to live out authentically all of the time, no matter who we are with, our lives with Jesus. During the good times, and especially the hard times. To love the unlovable, to show mercy to the unforgivable, to provide for the forgotten, to lead by example, And then people will see something different in us. Something that the rest of the world does not have and that they are looking for. They will see Jesus. They don't realize that they need Jesus right now. And that our lives, our example, can be an open door to share Jesus' love to others. So far, Jesus has been the teacher Now the disciples are to take over his role of teaching. The content of the teaching must be all things that Jesus taught and commanded, not just some of it or the parts that we agree with. It has to be all of it. All followers of Jesus are responsible to present the whole counsel of God to those who are made his disciples. Let me say that again. All followers of Jesus are responsible to present the whole counsel of God to those who are made disciples. As Jesus says these things to you, you're still processing it all. 
Jesus knows your hesitation and your confusion and how you're unsure of yourself in this. And he said this before, but now he says it in a different way to give you one last assurance. My fourth and final point today is that Jesus calls us to be sure of this. Be sure of this. He says in verse 20, And be sure of this, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. I am with you always, even to the end of the age. Be sure of it. Remember this. Jesus promised the disciples his presence. It must have been staggering for 11 humble Galileans to be sent forth to the conquest of the world. Even as they heard it, their, their hearts must have failed them. They must have been like, I can't do that. What are you talking about? You're the Messiah. You can do that, but I can't do that. But no sooner was the command given than the promise that followed. They were sent out, as we are also, on the greatest task in history, and he is with us. There is the greatest presence in the world. Jesus promises to be with his disciples in this great task, just as God promised Moses and Joshua that he would always be with them. So Jesus promises to strengthen his disciples. He's not going to leave them to hang out to dry. He's not saying, okay, do this work for me, but I'm going to let you do it on your own. That's not what Jesus says. Your mission is to continue to the end of the age. That is until Jesus returns. The Lord will be with all of us who follow him, his disciples, always. Have you ever noticed that people have a little more boldness when they do something, when someone else goes with them? So I was at Atlantic Splash Adventure with our youth group last year, and there were some parents and a little child standing in front of us in the line on the water slide. And the only way that the child would go down the slide was if their parent would go down with them at the same time. They did not have the confidence to do it on their own. But with their parent, they knew they would be safe if anything bad were to happen. And I'm sure we've all experienced this. This is the same thing with our journey with God. We are more willing to fulfill the task if we know that God is with us. If, God, if Jesus had said, okay, I'm going to tell you to do all these things, but I'm going to take a step back and just let you do your own thing, and I'm not going to help you at all, like, that would be pretty scary. It'd be pretty scary for this little child if the parent was like, no, you're going by yourself, and they push him down. That would be kind of traumatizing, and it wouldn't have worked. We are more willing to fulfill the task if we know that God is with us. God told Joshua to go with them, told, told Joshua that he will go with them. God has told us that he will be with us wherever we go to. Jesus sent his disciples on with a mission to fulfill, but he did not send them alone. The promise of his constant presence was more than enough to strengthen and guide the disciples as they obeyed Jesus and making disciples of all the nations. And it should be enough for us too. Having Jesus' presence was not just enough for the disciples that he was 
physically with, but he, it should be enough for us too who have the Holy Spirit. Jesus will not leave us to go out and, come up and accomplish this commission by ourselves, but he is going to guide us through it. This is his work that he is calling us to. So why should we worry? As you have listened to all that Jesus has said to you during this time, before he ascends to be with the Father in heaven, you're filled with this peace, a peace that's past all understanding, a peace that helps you to know that this calling is from the most high God, and he will be with you every step of the way. This is not something to take lightly, but it is something to dedicate our lives to, to help the whole world, every man and woman, to understand that Jesus has authority and therefore he wants the world to go and become his disciples and for each of them to go and make more disciples, for it to be a continuous thing, not just to stop at one person or the next, but for it to be a continuous thing. That's what it means to be a Christian, a follower of Jesus. It's not just sitting in the pews, but it's to gather together and to grow stronger together as the body of Christ and to support each other. But then also as we leave this building to scatter, scatter out into the world, into our communities and help people to understand who Jesus is better. Do you know that 40% of evangelicals in the United States do not know this great commission to its full extent? I'm talking about people who call themselves Christians. They don't know the great commission that was sent by Jesus. They have either never heard of it, or they've heard of it, but they don't know what it means really, or they never heard of it at all. This should be one of the first things that disciples of Jesus should be taught. And I'm not judging here. Maybe there were circumstances that they just didn't learn it. But I'm just saying that we need to make sure that those who become a follower of Jesus know this and live it out. And we do that best by living it out ourselves as well, and by teaching them. Anyone and everyone can have this new life with Jesus. We have to make that clear. Some people think that they're not good enough to be with Jesus, to have a relationship with Jesus. Some people say, oh, I, I'm going to hell because of what I've done, and I've just accepted that. I've heard people say that before. And it's just like, you don't have to. Why would you accept that when there's something greater out there for you? Yeah, it's not going to be easy, but it's going to be so worth it. Why are we hiding this? Why are we keeping it to ourselves? Maybe we're scared. Maybe we've never done it before. I mean, I'm scared too. Someone came in here and I was like, it's just so hard for me to tell people about Jesus if I'm not up on this stage. It's so much easier because you guys have to listen to me. But to talk to someone one-on-one, it is hard to do. I'm in that same boat. We might be afraid of what others may think of us, or we might be unsure of what we should say, but Jesus has called us to do it. And so 
My challenge for every single one of us, including me this week, is to go out of our way to help at least one person understand Jesus a little bit more. We don't have to preach the whole gospel to them, especially if they're not ready for it. But just teach them a little bit. If we notice that they're going through something, be Jesus to them. If they have a question, find the answer. We do not know everything. Even the pastors, we do not know everything. So sometimes we have to look it up, and that's okay for you to do as well. If they are doing something that is ungodly, explain to them in love how we should live because it is how Jesus lived. In our own time, standing as we do between Pentecost and the return of Christ, our central task as God's people is to live united in love of uh, united in the love of other people and of God through Christ and in the power of the Holy Spirit. God's mission is about salvation. It is about reconciliation to God. Those who have walked away from him and those who have never even known him is about reconciliation with that relationship to God, one another, and, the crea- and all of creation through Christ. Mission is about God's will being fully realized. God graciously invites us to participate in this realization. This is what the disciples were called to do on the day that Jesus ascended to be with the Father. That call has not changed for us today. The culture and the time have definitely changed, but the call is not. The disciples had to basically start from scratch when they left that mountain. They were like, well, there's not very many Christians out here. They're starting from scratch. And they could have gone to jail or even died because of their faith in Jesus. Here in North America, thankfully, we have a bit of an advantage. But we need to stop making excuses. Do you know that over in China and different places like that where Christianity is illegal, it is growing the fastest, even though they could be killed or put into jail for their whole lives? Yet we can freely talk about it and we're afraid to. We need to stop making excuses and go out and accomplish this commission from Jesus because this is what we're called to do. Let's pray. God, thank you so much for today. Thank you for giving us that great commission to go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to be your disciples. And thank you that you are with us always, even to the end of the age. Until you come back, you are with us, Jesus. Thank you so much for giving us that commission, that calling that every single one of us have. And we will all do it differently We might go out on the street. We might just talk to a family member. We might do something online. Whatever it is, God, I just ask that you please bless us all and give us strength and encouragement and guidance in how to do this. Help us to learn how to do this better and help us to remember that we're going to make mistakes, but you still love us and you are still going to guide us. God, please be with us as we leave. As we've gathered together, help us to scatter out into the world, and not just to keep this to ourselves, but to tell at least one person this week about your love, 
Again, that may not be preaching the whole gospel to them, but just showing your love somehow, some way. We love you so much, dear God. And we ask all this in Jesus' name. Amen.